Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. What a privilege it is to be able to go to God's word, to be able to hear from the one who created us, for the one who gives us purpose, for the one who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Amen. We get to hear from God. Let us read. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unstrung cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does... The wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. You may be seated. Speak, Lord. A new thing in me. A new thing in in me. You know, there are more megachurches now in America than at any point in history. Every Sunday, droves and droves and droves of people go to big stadium-like buildings, and they go in there and they hear a message and they get encouraged and they leave. Week after week, we have churches that's 22,000 plus members in attendance, 15,000, 10,000, just huge churches spread all around the United States of America, not just in one city, but just about every major city has them. And yet, when we look at our country in comparison to those who claim to be Christian and who go to a Christian church each Sunday, this country is in very, very bad spiritual condition. Can I say, can I get amen, amen? Would you agree? Big churches, more people filling these big churches in droves and droves, but little transformation. Little transformation. See, what I I believe is, is happening is this. Many people gather and they go into big churches and they go to church Sunday after Sunday. But what they are are doing is they are building their own spirituality, building their own religion, so to speak, building their own system of getting to God. They are constructing their own religion, constructing their own God. And what I mean by that is this. We have people coming to church week after week, hearing preaching, hearing songs, 
But they've kind of made a list in their minds of what it means to be a follower of God. And that list is their standard. It is what they have accepted as having or to mean uh, to have a relationship with God. So, for example, someone's list may be my list in order to please God, in order to have a relationship with God, simply is, number one, go to church on Sunday. Number two, give $20 in offering each week. The average, which is the average amount of, uh, that the average uh, Protestant believer gives each week. It's actually $17. So $20 a week. And then when I leave is to just be the best person I can be. All right. So that's, that's what it means to walk with God for most people. Go to church on Sunday. Give $20. And when I'm in trouble, go to God and remind him that I'm a good, I'm a good person because I do these things. That's their system. I have a friend. And uh, I had a friend in high school who I, I kind of keep in touch with now. And uh, he was a, a, a good, a nice person in high school. We were close. We grew up together. I met him when I was in about the sixth grade and spent some time together. Well, he recently contacted me and he wrote me a long email. And in that email, it just had all types of uh, encouraging language. It was using God and it was using Jesus, and he was reminding me, uh, he was encouraging me, saying, man, that's great. I see that you're a, a pastor. Last time I spoke to you, you were pursuing ministry, but you weren't pastoring. That's great. He was like, I want you to check out my new CD. I'm releasing a CD. It'll be on iTunes tomorrow, and I want you to check it out and tell me what you think. So after reading that email, I was encouraged. I'm thinking, oh, man, my friend from Chicago, he's giving his life to Jesus. I'm thinking, man, this is great. Uh, he's a Christian now. He's a believer. And I hurry up and I go to YouTube before buying it. And I said, I'm going to listen to one of his songs. And I'm telling you, he made G-Unit look like uh, a gospel band. Amen? Uh, his CD was filled with swearing and cursing, uh, with violence, derogatory terms. And uh, I just listened to it, listened to another song, fast-forwarded it, and heard the same. I mean, it was just, it was hood, you know. It was that hood hood. It wasn't just hood, it was hood hood, you know. And I went back and I said, well, maybe I misread the email. <laughs> but I noticed once his CD dropped on Facebook, every day he was promoting the CD. And while he promoted the CD, he was using God to promote it. He would write something on his, on his message box like, God is so good, my CD is doing great. Or Jesus really loves me. You should check out this new CD. It is just blooming or, or, or messages like that. What has happened to my friend is, is what has happened to, to many people. And perhaps it's what is happening to some of you in here today. He has constructed his own picture of God. He has built his own system, his own spirituality, and he has probably come up with a list of things that he does or agrees to, and he says, because I do this list of things, I'm a Christian, and therefore God is on my side. And what is happening is, is that 
And what will happen as he lives and as he continues to, to, to go throughout his life, uh, he will one day be faced with the fact that and realize that, that God, hopefully, that wasn't really with him. And that his spirituality is really bankrupt. And it's really worthless. Just like this poorly put together box. A relationship with God is not put in this formula. It is not obedience or performance. Equals acceptance from God. That is not what it means to have a relationship with God. If I just do this, if I just keep this list, then God will accept me and people will respect me. And I'm a Christian. Jesus has been teaching us that to be a Christian throughout the Gospel of Mark is to be a follower of his. To be a disciple is to to follow him closely, to share life with him, to, to live life with him. And we are called to follow him by grace. So the formula for a Christian is grace. Grace equals acceptance with God. And from that grace, from understanding that we don't deserve this relationship with God, that God has freely given us, from that we then do good works and not the other way around. In Jesus' day, there was a, a group of religious leaders that you all know, and their name was, of course, the Pharisees. The Pharisees. The Pharisees had put together their own system, their own spirituality, so to speak. They had constructed a system and they looked to that system and they looked to their deeds for confirmation, for acceptance from God and from other people. And Jesus is exposing their their lack of intimacy with God the Father. He is constantly showing them that their spirituality their religious walk is, is dead and that they are dead and that they are blind. But see, the problem is, or, or was this, the Pharisees were the religious standard of the day. They were the people that everyone looked to. They were the people that everyone thought had it all together. They thought that their spirituality, that their religious system was the way to follow Now, as we think about that day, the Pharisees really were the best, the best example of spiritual leaders that they had. There were other spiritual groups. You had the Sadducees, and their name says it all. They were sad, you see. And the reason why is this. The Sadducees, they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. It's like, how can you be a religious leader and not believe that after you die, something's going to happen? Not only that, they often compromised Jewish beliefs with, with Rome. So they were, they were compromising with Rome. Then you had another group, the Essenes. And they were separatists. 
They believe that in order to really maximize your time with the Lord and your life with the Lord, you had to separate from everyone. And then you had another group, the Zealots. The Zealots were kind of like radical uh, is, is, Islamics. Uh, they, they just waged war against Rome. They used their religion and they used their ethnic pride to, to kind of go against Rome. And, and they would assassinate uh, or try to assassinate Roman uh, governors and, and stuff like that. So these were really the only choices to follow. So you had these Pharisees, and these Pharisees, they made up about 1% of the population, but they had a great impact on the way that people followed the Lord. Why did they have a great impact? Well, the reason why they had a great impact is because they knew the Torah. They knew the word of God inside out. All right? They knew the law of God inside out, and they stood on the law of God. In fact, if, if, in Jesus' day, Jesus would have identified more with the Pharisees than any other religious group. He was closer to them. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus did, too. They believed in the word of God. Jesus did, too. They believed in obeying God. Jesus did, too. But this was their problem. This was a huge problem. The Pharisees exalted their tradition to a place where their tradition was equal to and many times even more important than God. Their list that they made, their list of things to do and things to keep was, was, was meant so much to them and, and, tre- and was treasured by them so much that they often missed the intent of the law that God gave. And they even made it harder for people by exalting their tradition up with the same level as the word of God. Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, tradition is not bad, but traditionalism is. When one's tradition becomes one's object of worship, when one's list of of things to do becomes what controls them and becomes what defines them, It will confine them, and it will blind them. They were blind. And as a result, most of Israel was blind. And they were in bondage. They were in bondage to the law of God, and they were missing the whole point of God's law. That's where we are when we read this text. We see that Jesus is asked a question. And the question is, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So let's keep that in mind what we just learned about the Pharisees, that they are bound with tradition. They have a list of things that they are keeping week in and week out. They are filled with pride because they're keeping their own man-made list. And, And one of the things that was on that list for the Pharisees was fasting. Now, fasting is a good thing. To fast means to afflict yourself. Literally means to afflict yourself. When a person fasts, they afflict themselves. They choose not to eat for a a period of time in order to devote themselves to God. In essence, they are trying to communicate to God that they are in deep need of God, in deep need of his intervention. So the Pharisees were often fasting. John, the Baptist disciples, were often fasting. They were often doing this. But see, the fast had lost its meaning to them because their fasting no longer was about getting God's attention or or devoting themselves, afflicting themselves in order to, to cry out to the Lord 
in order to communicate to the Lord that they hungered for him more than natural food. Instead, it became just another thing on their, to, on their checklist. It became a, another thing of tradition to do. In the Old Testament, Jews were taught that fat, to fast. And they were often encouraged to fast. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29 through 30, we read about the Day of, uh, the, the, the day of Atonement. And, and we read about how God called Israel on the Day of Atonement to fast. That was the only real fast that was, that was mandated, that was to be annually, that God put into place. As time progressed and as a result of, of Israel trying to, to cry out to God, they would, they would fast at other times. They would fast if there was a plague. They would fast if there was a famine. They would uh, uh, fast if they were in war. They would fast if, uh, for a number of different situations, they would fast in order to afflict themselves to say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we want you. We need you to intervene. They would fast for all kinds of personal reasons. But see, when the Pharisees came along and they were fasting, they completely took out their personal reasons to afflict themselves, to get God's attention, and they began to make it a complete ritual. They would fast every Monday, and they would fast every Thursday. It just became a ritual. It became something that they did, and it wasn't about, no longer about getting God's attention. It was no longer about being relational with God, having a relationship with God. It was all now about appearance, about performance. It was something that they could check off on their to-do list. It was something that they could do and they would put ashes on their face and barrels on their waist and they would walk around looking all sad so that everybody could say, oh my goodness, look at them, they're so pious. They're fasting every Monday. They're fasting every Thursday. Look at them. Oh my goodness. The relational aspect, the, the fasting for the glory of God was gone. So people are noticing. They're saying, our pious people, our pious religious leaders are fasting, Jesus. John the Baptist's disciples, they're even fasting. The Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't you and your disciples fasting? Now, they've heard of Jesus. They've seen the miracles that he's done. They've, they've been hanging out with him a little bit, and now they're curious. If you are pious, if you are religious, why are you not disciplining yourself like this? Which would make perfect sense. If you were to come in one Sunday morning, and when you came in, we just started the worship service with singing, no prayer, and we went through the worship service, and there was no prayer, and we concluded the service, and there was no prayer. You would come up to us and say, why in the world did we not pray on Sunday? Fasting had been a part of, of their culture. It had been a, an expectation. They actually lifted it on the same level as praying. They was coupled together. This was weird. This was like, wait a minute. Are you really pious if you do not fast? Let's look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? Look, he, he puts the question back on them. And they're thinking in their mind, as soon as they hear that question, certainly not. The wedding guests cannot fast uh, while the bridegroom is with them because weddings were huge in their days. Now, we celebrate, too. We do a good job of celebrating weddings. You know, we spend about $10,000, and we get a reception hall. Y'all do anyway, amen. Y'all can afford it. Uh, and we celebrate, don't we? 
how we have the reception and, and we're just dancing and we're just having a good time. But back then, they really celebrated. It wasn't a one-day event. If you were a, a virgin, you would have a seven-day celebration. Seven days of celebrating, okay? And it wasn't just any kind of celebration. It was, it was time to feast and to drink. And everybody in that culture, everybody in that society knew that when it was a wedding, this was a good thing. We're about to eat good for seven days. We're about to party. We're about to, life is about to be suspended in our village. Someone's getting, wet, getting married. For non-virgins, it was three days. You would, fad, you would come together and you celebrate for three days. But, but it would be great feasting. It would be great drinking. It would be a great time of celebration. Jesus is saying, who would show up to a wedding on a fast? This is how, how big of a celebration it was. The rabbis of the day, when it was a wedding, they no longer had to keep, according to tradition, uh, they got to break the, the laws uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the Torah, and they got to get a little drunk themselves, too. They got to hang out and kick it real hard. Everybody just said, man, when it's a wedding, you just let loose. You just have fun. You, you, you party. So nobody does it. It's like me taking my wife on vacation, and uh, it's like taking her on a cruise and uh, telling her, oh, sweetie, I'm sorry, uh, on this, during this week of our vacation on this cruise, uh, I can't eat. Amber would look at me, and she would say, seriously? You picked this week to fast? This is all you can eat? You can wake up at 12 o'clock at night and fast. You got an excuse to, to, to commit gluttony. This is the time. What's wrong with you? No one did it. So Jesus is saying, listen, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Of course not. That would be an insult to the bridegroom. Why? Because they are in the presence of the bridegroom and they are to be celebrating with him, enjoying this time with him. Now what Jesus does here is huge. He brings up the issue of a bridegroom. He could have used a lot of different examples or illustrations, but he uses the example of a bridegroom. Now, remember, in Mark, Jesus is in chapter 1, is being introduced by John the Baptist as the Messiah of Israel. Jesus is the figure that these Jews have been waiting for for a very long time. He is the fulfillment of many of the, the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. He is the one who has come to give life and to heal the brokenhearted, the poor in spirit. This is him. But in the Old Testament, there is no picture of the, of the Messiah being the bridegroom or being a bridegroom. But in the Old Testament, there is imagery of God being the bridegroom or God being the husband all throughout. Let's turn to Isaiah real quick, or you can just look at the screen. Isaiah chapter 54 God often related to his people as their bridegroom, as their husband. And this is an example in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. It says your maker, God, is your husband. For the Lord has called you like a wife 
deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. The Lord your Redeemer. And we see language like this all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the book of, of Hosea, this call. God is saying, I am your husband. You are my bride. What Jesus does here, do not miss this, and we're almost through. What Jesus does here is huge. Why don't your disciples fast? Remember what fasting is. Fasting is afflicting yourself, restraining from food, and that's just communicating to God that you have a, a greater need for him in your life. Why don't your disciples fast? Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying because God is with them. Emmanuel is here. Why would they fast for the attention of God and the presence of God if God's attention is on them and if God's presence is with them? But check this out. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the men who were seen as pious and, and great, the men who everybody looked up to, the men who everybody thought had it together spiritually, the men who had their own system, their own way of living, completely missed it. They completely missed God. They completely missed him walking the earth. They completely missed him performing miracles. They couldn't even appreciate miracles because they were stuck on how he did it and when he did it. They completely missed the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that they read about, the one that they devoted their life to, they completely missed them. Why? Because they had created their own system. They had created their own religion. They had created their own way. And therefore, they missed the relationship with God for nothing. Week after week, they did the same thing. Day after day, they prayed empty prayers. Monday and Thursday, they missed some good meals. And they didn't have God with them. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, is trying to, to help the people understand that the things that we do, prayer, almsgiving, fasting, they're not to be done in order to find acceptance from other people or in order to, to feel pious about ourselves. The things that we do are done in order that we would be able to fellowship with God and to be intimate with God. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 6, he's getting at the Pharisees' attitude. He's getting at these three pillars that everybody thought that if you did these three things, you were pious. He's getting at it. He's saying, when you give, do not show it off. And do not tell everybody what you're giving. He says you have your reward if you do it that way. But rather when you give, give in secret. He says when you pray, don't pray long prayers that's just all fancy in, in order to get an emotional response, in order for people to see you pious. But he says when you pray, talk to the Father. Don't talk to other people. 
For when you pray that the other way, you get your reward. He says when you fast, the same thing. Don't put dust on your face. Don't, put, don't, don't go around looking all sad and somber. Rather, he says, anoint your face. Get yourself together. Look good and know that your fasting is before you and the Lord. Jesus is trying to free people from religion. He is good news. He's trying to free people from having this burden of trying to please everybody and look like they got it all together. He says, look, in order to find acceptance from God, you have to do the opposite. You have to admit, I do not have it all together. You have to admit, I am a sinner. You have to come to God and say, God, listen, I really need you in my life. I need your presence. I need to follow you. And wherever you go, Father God, by your grace, I will go. It's not a system. Let's continue. Mark, he goes on, he says, listen to this. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus says, the day will come when the bridegroom, where, when, when their husband is, is taken away. This is a, 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 kind of the, the first foreshadowing, so to speak, of Jesus' cross. He's saying the day will come this word taken away is not just like taken away, it's like violently taken away. The day will come when I am taken away, when I am stripped from these disciples, and they will fast. In Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we see the Pharisees, uh, in the next chapter, they are now getting irritated and upset with Jesus because they're, they're on to it now. They're like, this guy, he's really coming after us. This is personal. And the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 6, they begin to come together and they begin to try to put together a plan to, to murder Jesus, to murder him, to take him out. So he says, there will come a day when my disciples will fast. And, and throughout the New Testament, we see some examples, even after Jesus died, where, 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 where the Christians are fasting. Look at verse 19. Now Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. Picking up at 21. Now Jesus is going to tell two, uh, give two illustrations to, to further what he's saying. He's going to really nail it home, and we're going to nail it home, and, and then uh, we'll go. Verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. A worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wine stands. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wine skins. What in the world is Jesus talking about? This is what Jesus was saying. He says, listen, no one takes an unstrung piece of cloth, right, and puts it on an old garment, all right? When you wash that cloth, what's going to happen? That unstrung cloth, that new cloth is going to tear away from the old cloth, right? He says, and that, that garment is going to look worse than before. And then he goes on and he uses the, the example of wineskins. He says, no one takes old wineskins, wineskins that have been holding uh, old wine for a very long time. Nobody takes used wineskins and throws fresh wine in it. Why? Because that fresh wine, that ferment is going to cause that old wineskin to burst open. Jesus is doing two things. One is for the culture, or in, in his culture. Uh, he, he's directly challenging those who are in Judaism. Uh, 
those who are living the way of the Pharisees. And this is what he's saying. He says, you cannot take me and place me in Judaism. You cannot take me and patch me along with your tradition. You cannot both follow the Pharisees and their system and follow me. He says, I'm better than that. <laughs> I'm bigger than that. You cannot say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Samuel, David, and Jesus. You can't just tack me in your line of tradition, in your line of reasoning, in your line of, of living. He says, no, <laughs> I'm bigger than that. Why is Jesus bigger than that? Why is he better than that? Because Jesus is the one to whom everything in the Old Testament points to. He's the, the whole purpose of, of, of their tradition, the whole purpose of the law, everything in it points to it. He's the one who fulfills it. He's the one who perfectly keeps the Torah. He's the one who perfectly keeps the law of God. He says, I'm not just a, another part of your life. I'm not just another person to be respected. He says, I'm better than that. I'm bigger than that. Can't put me in your old system. I'll break it open. What is Jesus saying to us today? What is the word saying to us today? Okay, we're not caught in Judaism. We're, uh, Jesus is saying, you cannot use me as a patch in your life. Many people, like we talked about earlier, the, the state of uh, America is, is really struggling. Uh, we have mega churches, but there's very little transformation and, 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 and churches standing up against uh, the things that are wrong in, in society and the way that they should. We've got all these people professing to be Christians, but little transformation. And what is happening is this. Many people are patching Jesus onto their life. They're using him as a patch. How do you use Jesus as a patch? We use Jesus as a patch when we say, okay, I've got my three rules or my few rules of what it means to be a Christian. Come to church, right? Give $20 and run to him when I'm in trouble. That's our life. Come to church on Sunday. Give that same old $20 and run to Jesus when I'm in trouble. Marriage is in trouble. Time to intensify. Time to come to church even earlier and to come to Bible study then. Let's patch Jesus on. Kids are in trouble. Well, I guess I better read my Bible because I really need something from God. Patch Jesus on. Patch him on. Just connect him to our, our way of doing things because we, we really need something from him right now. Jesus is saying, I'm not a patch. I'm not to be a, a part of your life. I am to be your life. I am to be your life. So you just can't add me on like you add on anything else, like you add on a, a gym membership. You can't just add me on like I'm a, like I'm a new diet. You can't just come to me uh, when, when you're in need. He says, it's a relational thing. I cannot, I cannot fit into your, your religion. That's what my friend was doing. He was living any kind of way he wanted to. And what Jesus is to him, Jesus is his genie. Jesus is the person who's going to give him whatever he wants if he just uses his name. 
and says, God is good. Is that you today? Are you kind of just patching Jesus on? Are you kind of just using him to get what you want? Is having a relationship with Jesus just checking off these things on a to-do list? Trying to be visible at church so everyone can say that you're a good Christian? Or is it a relational thing? Is it a relational thing? Look at this. This is very interesting what Jesus says here. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Jesus said, when you just see me and, and use me and kind of patch me onto your life, you actually will end up worse than you were <laughs> before you used me to patch you on. Because now you have this pseudo-spirituality and this, this appearance of spirituality, and you think that I am for you, you think that I'm living with you, you think that I'm blessing you, and I'm not. So when things go wrong and, 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 and don't go your way, <laughs> who do you blame? You blame God. But God, I, I kept up with this list of things. I go to church. Jesus is saying, I'm not patchwork. I'm, I'm your Lord, I'm your king, and I'm summonsing you to call me. And people who patch, who have their own system and then just try to add Jesus to that system, they really, they really don't have joy, they really don't have substance. It's, it's drudgery because they don't really have intimacy with them. So you say, that's me today. I realize that I am just kind of using Jesus. Uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm searching for him and I'm seeking him because... I want this to happen in my life. I want my career to go this way. I want my marriage to go this way. I want my kids to look this way. So I'm just coming after him because I really need him to do this for me. And I don't have an intimate relationship with me. He's not who I desire, who I long for. He's not the person that I, I'm thinking about when I'm doing everything. I'm not living my life to glorify him. And to be honest, I really don't have that intimacy and that peace with him. What should, what should I do? Two things. Number one, if you recognize that, Repent. Amen. Repent. Talk to God. Tell God that you recognize that you are a sinner. You recognize that you have been living religiously and not according to the gospel. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Place your faith and trust in his person. Seek his face and not just his hand. Believe that he has created you and he has called you and he has summoned you to know you personally. He has summoned you and he wants to walk with you every day and talk with you every day. He wants to be relational with you. He wants you to know him like a bride knows her bridegroom. A wife knows her husband. He's saying, stop. Stop approaching me in a casual way. Stop just coming to me when you need something. That's like me going to my wife and coming to her and saying, sweetie, uh, this is the way our marriage is going to work, all right? I'm going to spend two hours with you per week. I'm going to give you $20 per week. And if you really need me, just call on me, and I'll be there. No. I wife to say are you stuck on stupid waiting for dumb? <laughs> Jesus is saying, 
You, have to, you can't put me in your old system. You have to say, you have to come to God repenting. Lord, creating me a clean heart and renewing me the right spirit. Jesus, transform the way that I think about you. Don't let me think about, think about Christianity as a list of rules to do and to not to do. Jesus, transform my affections towards you. Let me long for you. Let me want to wake up with you on my mind. Let me go to work with you on my mind. Let me be consumed by you and your love and your grace and your mercy. Let me be transformed by you. Walk with me, Jesus, every single day and every moment of the day. And Jesus, when I cannot find you, Jesus, I'm going to pursue you. Jesus, I'm not going to try to put you in this box. I'm not going to try to put you in this box, but rather, Jesus, I'm asking you to put me in your hand, to carry me where you want me to go, to lead me to where you want me to go, to to do what you want to do through me. Jesus, I give you my plans. I give you my aspiration. I give you my heart. I give you my hope. Jesus, make something great of my life. Make something beautiful of my life. And Jesus, I'm not just asking, I'm not asking about fame and fortune, but I'm saying do something great in my heart where I am living for your glory and where you are pleased. Where you are pleased, Jesus. Did you know that that is why you were created? You were created to be filled with God's Spirit. You were created if He has called and summons you. And if you're saying, thinking to myself, I, I, I need you, you were cre- created, you have been called, you have been summons to worship God, to know God, and to let God make your life that which He wills. Repent, believe. And finally, maybe you need to afflict yourself. Some Christians in here who are are genuine Christians, genuine believers, and and all of us at at some point in time probably fall into the sin of of trying to systemize our walk with God and check off a to-do list. And, And maybe what you need to do is afflict yourself. Maybe you need to fast. We don't fast to be seen. We don't fast to diet. We fast because we recognize that we are hungry for the presence of God in our lives. If you're not hungry for the presence of God in your life, maybe you need to pick, pick a day, maybe a Saturday, where you're not running around and working and, and in, the, in the rush of everyday life. Maybe you need to pick a Saturday and, and tell your, your spouse, you know, from, from sunup to sundown, I'm not going to eat. And during that time, I'm not going to consume myself with television and things. From, from that down, I'm going to plan every hour to do something that will help me to think about Jesus. I'm going to sing songs to him. I'm going to sit in silence and solitude. When I'm hungry and I'm, I'm feeling weak, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray and I'm going to beg God to fill me, to give me my daily bread. Maybe you need to call a, a babysitter and make sure that happens. Afflict yourself. We fast. Because we hunger for God. But we also fast because we're homesick. We afflict ourselves with God because we realize that we are separated from our bridegroom. And because we know that we live in a fallen world. 
and we know that we are sinful and we make mistakes and we mess up our relationships with our, our spouse and with our friends and our families, we, we, we realize that, 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 that even when we try to do good, evil is ever besides us. So we, are, we, we can fast, we can afflict ourselves to say, God, I yearn for the day where you will save me from this desire to sin. I yearn for the day where your bridegroom will come back to get me. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 that the bridegroom will come back, that Jesus will come back and he will feast with us he will celebrate with us he will give us perfect peace and wipe away every tear maybe maybe when you fast you should remind yourself that you are a sojourner an exile that you are just traveling through this life and and, and life on earth is not all to life Listen, peace, joy, freedom comes when Christ is not a to-do list. But when he is your Lord, your Savior, your personal friend, life comes when you realize that he loves you more than anyone could ever love you. And he has freed you from the bondage of sin. And he has empowered you by his spirit to be victorious. While you're here on earth. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Father God, that you will lead us to repentance. That you will lead us back to your cross that we will be reminded, Father God, that on the cross you did not die so that we can look to you and, and still keep the law or our own traditions, but that you died in order that we would be able to know you. That you died, Jesus, in order that we would be able to know the Father and have a relationship with him. Lord, there are some people who are desperate for you as they have patched you onto their lives. Help them, Father God, to repent from that. And rather than pat you on, help them, Father God, to, to run to you and to run to your hand. Transform the way we think about you, Father. Move us from religion to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.